Hey everyone, Adam Levy here. I wanted to take a minute to reflect on season four. Now, this episode is going to be a little bit different than the rest, mainly because I want to quickly recap the last four months and all the episodes uh, I published to share with, with each and every one of you. Um, so I guess for starters, mint season four was epic to say the least. Uh, we now reach over 20,000 web three creators, founders, and collectors per month across audio, video, blog, and the newsletter to name a few. You know, I started mint, what, about 10 short months ago to focus on the web three creator economy. And to be honest, I couldn't be happier with our progress to date. I got to quickly mention and give uh, a special thanks to Coinvise and Polygon Studios for collecting my sponsorship NFTs and for genuinely making this season possible. Without them, I could have not have had the production and uh, basically keep the lights on for the podcast. So special thank you to them. Now, if you've been tuning in, uh, then you already know that the primary theme for the season was music, and with that came an incredible lineup. Uh, on December 22nd, I debuted the lineup. We had everyone from Gary V, uh, Justin Blau, Verite, Daniel Allen, uh, Melissa Zhang from Bonfire, Mike and Jeremy from Catalog. The list goes on and on and on. And uh, I basically curated 20 creators to be featured across 20 episodes, but of course, as publishing time increased, because I only publish on Tuesdays and Thursdays, trends did evolve and so did my guest list. At the end of the day, I ended up publishing 34 episodes with different people in the Web3 creator economy and music movement, featuring everyone from the founders of, like, you know, Catalog, Mint Songs, and Royal, uh, to even some of the top collectors and music creators really defining this decentralized revolution. So to close out season four, okay, without just ending abruptly, I wanted to take a moment to compile some thoughts, uh, some of my favorite takeaways and summaries from a few key episodes. So let's begin with the two primary and controversial types of music NFTs, okay? The two main types of music NFTs kind of revolve around two themes, okay? So patronage and ownership-based music NFTs. While you own both NFTs at the end of the day, uh, what you own kind of differs across each type. So first one, patronage NFTs, okay? These are basically collected to support an artist uh, with collector upside kind of derived from the appreciating secondary sales. There are no Web2 traditional like royalties attached to these NFTs, but another form of royalties kind of kick in uh, and they're accrued through secondary sales. Okay, so depending on the popularity of the music NFT, it sort of outpaces what you would earn on Web2 streaming platforms like Spotify and uh and Apple Music. And we can reference really quick like a tweet that uh, RAC kind of posted, and I'll reference it in the show notes, that in about a week, he's made 5.7k uh, in royalties. That's about 1.85 ETH. And that was generated by 36 people. Uh, it would take about 1.4 million plays to generate this on Spotify. Uh, and this, by the way, doesn't count the primary sales of 10 ETH, about 31k, which is equivalent to 7.75 million plays. Now, keep in mind, 136 people kind of generated over over what 9.1 million people would. Uh, so really interesting model to kind of explore here. And a lot of the inv- evangelists argue that for the first time, there's finally a way to value a song in its proper artistic form, hence why people collect. 
Uh, and you can get a kind of a solid understanding of this narrative by listening to the episode with catalog founders Mike McCain and Jeremy Stern, who kind of shared why music NFTs and the art of collecting are merely the start of building a better future for the music industry. It'll also be worth checking out Mint Song's take on this narrative, as well as LimeWire's perspective on this model. Now, the next form of NFTs uh, that we covered were ownership-based music NFTs, which involve buying a fraction of a song's IP, and the collector upside is kind of generated through copyrights and streaming royalties accrued by the song on Web2 platforms like Spotify, like Apple Music, etc. Now, ownership on-chain is still very much a gray area. Uh, some like to call this format a meme, while others kind of argue that this is the most authentic way to value a song. Personally, I see the value in both, hence why I've been collecting. Um, but there's one person in particular who's kind of led the front, let alone the music NFT narrative uh, since the get-go. His name is Justin Blau. He does a great job sharing his perspective on the two different formats and why the ownership model will eventually prevail from his point of view. So to come to a conclusion, while these two formats kind of serve as a foundation for how drops work today, um, we are experimenting in real time. The space moves really fast. And now we're seeing projects like Decent.xyz introducing bonding curves into the mix and sort of rethinking models of pricing and liquidity. But we'll hear more from them in season five. So, okay. So speaking of prices, okay. How would an artist actually determine what their music NFT is worth at launch? So that's a, that's a, another major question we kind of answered throughout all 34 episodes. Many guests uh, shared their thoughts on this one from Cooper Turley to Justin Blau, uh, the new co-CEO of LimeWire, Daniel Allen, and more. Uh, but there's one particular guest that kind of stood out the most. Uh, her name is Verite. She's an American singer and songwriter, and she recommends instead of setting a predetermined price for your first drop, let the market decide what it's worth using a timed open bid structure. Okay. Now beyond pricing, a lot of what kind of creators do once they sell out their drop is open up this token gated fan club, right? AKA creator DAO. Um, and that was another core theme for the season. We had a bunch of episodes kind of highlighting and featuring creators who are really the epitome of what a successful DAO looks like, uh, but more importantly, what it looks like when incentives are aligned with your fan base. So we got different hot takes on what a creator DAO is. If you guys remember Blockchain Brett, who was featured on season three, he recently kind of defined what a creator DAO is in a recent article, uh, and he kind of defines it as a set of tokens that own and govern an artist's treasury of their music NFTs and its sales proceeds. Highly recommend you go check out that episode in season three. So while there is a scale to sort of DAOifying a community, most creators today start with a private token-based group chat on Discord, Telegram, Twitter DMs, any real form of like messaging platform. And that sort of evolves into having a shared treasury uh, with different levels of cosmetic-like governance. So what better way to kind of understand this process than to feature the people who are sort of making it happen, right? So first up, my favorite, favorite, favorite Web3 music duo is Daniel Allen and Henry Chatfield together. Uh, they provided a really insightful episode breaking down the dynamics of their partnership with Henry outlining the day-to-day -day of being a community manager and Daniel recapping his end-to-end -end journey in Web3. So from releasing his EP crowdfund, right, if you guys remember that back, I think it was October, to building this really passionate community of collectors around his music, and then shortly after publishing his EP in a very Web3 native way, he reveals it all on Mint. Um, next up, which this next person wasn't really 
planned to be on the initial lineup, but ended up reaching out uh, because he he launched his own metaverse. And I'm talking about Steve Aoki, an iconic DJ, who sort of shared with us a unique look into his point of view in his life as a musician, as an artist, and the different problems he's faced and that other artists are sort of facing in the macro point of view, as well as kind of explaining why he's building this Aoki-verse for his token holders. We also had Gary Vion, right, who shared tips on how to build a minimum viable community. This is a topic, if you've been paying attention to the podcast, uh, we've talked about NBCs a lot. The first instance is with Joyce uh, Joyce from GCR, the Global Coin Research Community. Uh, and Gary basically suggests that spending about six to, what, six months in, a, in, a, in an NFT community, let alone learning across Discord and crypto Twitter, is the best way to kind of understanding what a minimum viable community is, how to launch one, and to really do your diligence before kind of going up into the open, okay? Uh, another artist and creator that I featured was Queen George, who shared how she growth hacked 150 Ethereum collectors at East Denver by giving away free tickets to attend her concert. Really interesting use case, definitely worth checking out. The next person that I wanted to kind of feature is Avenged Sevenfold's lead singer, M Shadows, uh, who highlighted how his iconic band, and I'm a big, big fan of their band, onboarded a non-crypto native fan base into Web3 via their NFT community coin, the Death Bats Club. He also shared why NFTs were the ultimate glue and the foundation for building a community of his dreams. This episode was near and dear to my heart. I'm a big fan of Avenged Sevenfold. I've been a big fan since I can remember, um, so it was a pleasure having him on. Next up, we featured independent artist Grady, who outlined his journey of bringing like-minded people together through IRL experiences, through URL experiences, uh, via his decentralized record label called Good Karma Dow which helped curate some of his music collectors today, including myself. Next up, we had Yuri Lifshitz of SuperDAO, who explained how to actually start a creator DAO, right? And the very basic structures of forming this initial community online uh, and how you can use basically his software to start one in a few clicks. Next up, we had Bonfire's Matt Alston and Melissa Zhang, who shared their perspective on how creators should be thinking about governance uh, and the various ways that you can basically include your audience in the day-to-day of one's creative process. Shortly after, we had Mark DeClivelo come on, who taught us that breaking free from legacy record deals is the ultimate form of freedom. He shared how he orchestrated a group of collectors who aligned with his vision to essentially buy back complete ownership of his catalog using crypto. I participated in that crowdfund, was really inspired by his story, and had to bring him on the show. Uh, we also featured Bolero Music uh, and its founder, William Bailey, who discussed the various utility frameworks on structuring one's first social token and when you'd consider launching a fungible experience to build an audience over an NFT. Highly recommend you listen to that one. And last but not least, we had Silencia and Charlie Crown, who both independently, independently taught us the various crowdfunding mechanics used in building a collector base and how they collectively raised $60,000 to pursue creative freedom. Now, in Web2, if you compare that to the Spotify model, the Apple Music model, you need a significant amount of streams to actually really make that sort of money, that sort of dough. Uh, and it's really inspiring to see how these people kind of come out of nowhere, put together these crowd funds, and build a community of collectors online that align with their vision. So beyond building a creator DAO and the different tips and tricks that all these people shared with us, this season highlighted what I believe will be a significant trend towards the end of 2022, and that is short, mid, and long form videos with music videos currently in the lead. So 
I don't know if you guys know this, but there's over 37 million YouTube channels to date online and over 100,000 TikTok influencers worldwide. But we've yet to see the staggering hype around video collectibles. I have different thoughts as to why, but we're seeing really, really small instances of video NFTs kind of propagating and getting more attention online. The first person that comes to mind uh, is Latasha, who sold her piece titled Go Go Wayne for 13.4 ETH on Zora back in December 2021. Yet there still nearly isn't enough examples to showcase in comparison to all the demand for digital art and music. So what better person to feature and speak about video NFTs than Dio Adiosa, who's the founder of Glass.xyz. And he was featured earlier in the season to basically share his point of view on all things video NFTs. Just for some context for those who don't know, Glass Protocol is basically building the ultimate destination for video NFTs. And they're currently focused on highly curated drops to help liberate the everyday video creator. Uh, but they're starting with music artists. So in this episode, Dio kind of shares the fundamental macro problems facing short, mid, and long-form videos in Web2, why people may want to collect video NFTs, how we as a community can kind of better educate creators worldwide uh, on the concept of ownership, and a lot more. Highly recommend you check out that episode. The next thing we sort of transitioned to in the season was the idea of collecting music NFTs and, and the thesis and the narrative behind that, right? So we learned that Justin Blau doesn't really understand the value of collecting purely patronage-based NFTs, while collectors like Cooper Turley have spent over 100 ETH on them. Cooper's session was one of my favorites to record. Uh, it took place during ETH Denver, and it's by far the longest episode of the season coming in at an hour and a half long. We talk about everything from getting started as a music creator in Web3, the soon-to-be consumption layer for music NFTs, tokenomics, and a lot more. I'm impressed that he didn't take one sip of water during his whole interview, uh, so definitely worth checking out, of course. The next thing I explored in the season was music production. So looking into the atomic unit of a song, like beats, loops, and also featuring this group that's building the headless artist in music in Web3. So the first people I had on uh, were Kyle and Evan Dillon of Arpeggi Labs, who are on a mission to basically empower the creative value of music through on-chain production tools. They walked me through the process of building a Web3 native digital audio workstation, aka a DAW, and their vision for an on-chain music industry. Shortly after that, two-time Grammy award-winning producer Illmind hopped on to explain his Web3 music project, Squad of Nights, why producers are better off selling beats and loops and sample packs via NFTs, and the various problems plaguing these creators today. Then we had the one and only Matthew Chime come on, who's a Web3 native artist, uh, and he basically came on the last season to explain his passion project, Song Camp, and the 80-person music collective that goes by the name Chaos. I have to tell you, this is one of the most forward-thinking, creative group of folks in Web3 that I've ever come across. The TLDR is basically, he hosts these songwriting camps, and at the end of each cohort, they tokenize their music. The latest kind of innovative group or idea to come out of these song these songwriting camps was Chaos, which essentially is an 80-person music collective that's aiming to build a headless music artist. Really cool. Highly recommend you guys check out that episode as well. Uh, but beyond collaborative projects and beats and loops and, and whatnot, I also explored the intersection of where DeFi meets the music industry with some interesting insights worth sharing. So decentralized finance or DeFi for short, 
promises the disruption of artist microloans, security-backed NFTs, and much more, or at least that's what Lee Parsons envisions. He's a serial entrepreneur and a music industry veteran who founded Opulus to change how music artists get funded and paid. They created an innovative model where revenue-generating artists can take a loan against their IP contracts to utilize their future projected cash flow in the day-to-day of building their careers. Uh, This is something that's definitely worth interesting there's a lot of legal discussions around how to do that and, and where the tokens come into play and what sort of loans are accepted and what interest rates kind of are, are, are provided against these loans. So really interesting form of financing for the music industry that we kind of yet to see go mainstream. There's one project in particular, though, that I want to feature because I'm more bullish on it. Now, I'm not a private investor in this project or an advisor. I merely collect their drops because I think they're thoughtfully engineered to odd perfection. And I've basically revealed a new appreciation for music, for me particularly, that I never knew existed. Now, it's hard to choose my favorite episode of the season, but if I had to, I'd give it to Benny Khan, who is the co-founder of Beat Foundry who shines, literally shines with enthusiasm and overwhelming passion for empowering musicians via a new genre that he likes to call on-chain generative music. He's basically building the art blocks for the music world. The era of completely auto-generated music is very futuristic. It's very, very absurd, very kind of weird to listen to, but it is upon us. Uh, I think that we'll see some form of Billboard 100 and Grammy award-winning hit sometime in the near horizon, even though we're still in its infancy. And guys, that's a wrap, okay? That was just season four. I know I rambled on for a minute, but it was important for me to kind of recap these major episodes as 34 hours, over 30 hours of content is a lot to, to, to consume. It's a lot to kind of take in. So hopefully this episode today kind of gave you a better idea of what was discussed in this season. And I want to say thank you to everybody that kind of joined, everyone that listened, all the speakers that participated, and again, sponsors, CoinVise and Polygon for making this season a reality. I can't wait to reveal season five on April 28th. I have a powerhouse lineup planned, and I know you guys are going to love it. Till then, peace.